Hey guys, it's Miller. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Upper in Dallas podcast. Uh, this message is so near and dear to my heart, uh, articulating what God has been doing in our midst, giving people a clear vision uh, for what we're going after, and ultimately what I believe the Lord is speaking to his bride in this hour, preparing us for his coming and for the days ahead. Uh, I believe there's pruning, course correction, um, there is a massive shift that's taking place, and this was my attempt to put language to our community around what I sense see um, scripturally, but also culturally. So please buckle up. I hope you're provoked into intimacy, affection for the man, Jesus Christ. We love him and we love you. Includes upper room. We love you. Um, hey, I just sometimes like. Sometimes we need to acknowledge that that what Aaron just shared is is very scriptural. Um, it says in Revelation twenty two, verse seventeen, that the Spirit and the Bride say, "Come." And so that dream, like that, is this, and this is that. These two line up. And if you're not paying attention, um, <laughs> there's a lot that's shaking on the earth. And you know, we don't know the day or the hour that he's coming back, but we will know the seasons. And uh, I believe the Lord is preparing the earth for his return. Um, you know, the son does not know when he's returning. He really is waiting on the voice of the father. Jesus said in John 5, he said, I can't do anything I don't see my father doing. I can't say anything that I don't hear my father saying. He's still living that way tonight. That's a profound reality. Meaning he's waiting for his father to say, you can go. And, and while I, I, I feel like one of the mandates I have as your pastor is to prepare you for that. And in the coming weeks, we're going to look at um, what the Bible says about the end times. We're going to look at, probably not going to do a, a, you know, a real in-depth dive, but I do want to equip you um, just to have a, a foundation to stand upon. Um, you know, that you're more informed by scripture about the days ahead than your social media feed. Because it's just a not a lot of good information on that. And, and, and I also feel that there's this invitation that he's giving us as his people to partner with him and his desire to come back. And one of the things that I feel that is happening with uh, our community specifically is um, I feel, and, and, and not just our community, but I think maybe Western American evangel evangelicism <laughs> you guys love it when I make up words. Um, I feel like the Holy, the Lord is, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is power washing His bride. And what He's power washing us of is He's power washing us of the veneers and the, the wardrobes and the makeup that we've put our, upon ourselves um, to produce a beauty that we were never intended to have. It's actually not a beauty. Uh, my wife had a dream where she was trying on uh, wedding dresses 
And um, the guy that was, or the, whoever was uh, giving her dresses, you know, that she was trying on, they, they weren't wedding dresses. Like they were kind of revealing. They, they just showed too much skin or like had a slit in it. And, and she like peeked out of the, the dressing room and she said, I don't know if you know this, but I'm a bride. She said, she said, brides weren't intended to be sexy. Brides were intended to be beautiful. And there's a beauty, there's a beauty that only comes from him. And, and this power washing, I think, is, is returning us back to a purity and simplicity of devoting our lives fully and wholeheartedly to Jesus. One of the things that the Holy Spirit's power washing us of is cultural Christianity. Christianity that fits in a compartment in our lives, but that just isn't Christianity. He wants your whole life. And, and so, um, so I, I just think where we're heading, we've never been. What we're going to see, we have not seen before. What he's preparing us for, um, we won't be ready for it unless we go through the preparations that he's taking us through. Um, he's really jealous for the journey. There is a destination, but he's going to enjoy each and every moment of it with you in preparing you for what he has. And what's amazing is there's this grand plan that has nothing to do with us, yet he invites us into it. And when he invites us into it, it actually is dependent upon our obedience. <laughs> like it's not about you, but he invites you into it. And if you're a 20 something, I don't know of a better time to get plugged in and to get radically passionate about following Jesus Christ. I don't know of a time that's more opportune like than tonight than to get right with God. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Like today is the day. That's yes, why you're in this room. And, um, and so I, I think, you know, I think revelation's pretty rampant. Like it's pretty easy to tap into revelation and to get things that make you go, whoa, that's a cool revelation. And that's a good teaching. This guy's much gifted, have more revelation than I. Um, but I, I'm not really concerned about um, a teaching, a message, a gift to put before you. What I want us to do collectively is to go on a journey and to watch what the Lord builds among us. Because I really think there's something unique for our city that we're called to contend for. I don't necessarily, again, think it's dependent upon us and that we're this elite special group, but I do think there's a role that we're to play. And tonight I want to attempt to give language to what I feel the Holy Spirit addressing in us and maybe within the culture of Christianity in our city. Is that okay? Um, and so, uh, yeah. I'm going to use David uh, as a means to that. So if you have your Bibles, it'll be in 1 Chronicles 13. <clears throat> One of the things Lou discussed this morning is he talked about a procession that's happening on the earth. And if, if you don't know what a... a, a a procession's an entry. A procession is um, it's, it's movement from one place to another. Um, 
you know, we, we got in this really wild rift today. Uh, if you weren't, if you didn't catch worship this morning, it was just, it was utterly, um, it, but it was all centered around the procession of the Israelites crossing through the Red Sea and the Lord delivering them from the Egyptians. Uh, that, that's a, a procession. Um, it was unto the promised land, which then um, continued forth to this narrative where David has a procession. And it was from Egypt, even into this moment that we're going to read in David's life, it was the ark, the ark coming into the city of God, which would be Mount Zion. He was creating a home for this ark, which was built in the wilderness, which is now on the promised land, but God was coming home. God had a desire to dwell in this land. He made covenant with Abraham. That covenant is still intact today. He still desires to dwell in that land when he returns. Us crying out Maranatha, he's not returning to Dallas, Texas. He's not coming to these city streets. He's going to Jerusalem, a real city that is a real nation. And he's going to establish a real kingdom from a real throne from that place. So this procession that David is, um, is orchestrating is a prophetic picture of what Jesus will do one day when the ark, which is <laughs> Jesus, the word tabernacled among us, he is the tabernacle. That tabernacle will return to Jerusalem on the Temple Mount. And so this is a prophetic picture, but I'm gonna use this to point to that day and then we're gonna see our role in that tonight and the coming days to create that reality in our city. But it's not about our city. I think it's about that city. But when we do our part, I feel like it's a part of this larger orchestration of us saying, Maranatha, Lord, you can come. Will you come? Does this, does this make sense? Just give me grace. Cause I, I, I was going to teach on, I was going to get up in some of y'all's business tonight. Uh, but the Lord had mercy. We're going to do that next week. So get your, get right with God. Just kidding. Um, so, so this, this scripture, if you've, if you've listened to me teach at all, you, 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 you've had to have heard me teach on first Chronicles 13, three. Um, it, it's the moment where, uh, David who had, who had been anointed as a teenager, uh, had gone through this cat and mouse game with Saul. They call it the, the seminary of Saul, where he was submitting to someone that actually was attempting to kill him. And, and he, he walks out his 20s very honorably. And most people think that this is when David was 30 years old. So he was anointed three times in his life. He was anointed as a, as a, as a teen. Um, nothing changed. He had to go through the process, which many of you are in. <laughs> So he's living for a promise. Well, that promise, part of that promise is fulfilled right here in 1 Chronicles 13, 3. And then seven years later, he would be anointed over both Israel and Judah. So this is the first anointing where he's going to be uh, crowned king. And, um, and he's going to say the first, his first words, which are kind of like uh, a state of the union, you know, um, president gets elected or uh, annually in January, we have the state of the union. You hear the agenda of the, of our president. Well, this is the state of the union for him. It's the first time everyone's agreeing that he's our leader. He's our man. God chose him to lead us as a people. So 
what is he going to be about? What is going to mark his reign, his leadership? And I think it's profound what David says. I still can't get over this, even though I've taught it a thousand times. So um, 1 Chronicles 13, I'll start in one. It says, then David consulted with the captains of the thousands, hundreds, even with every leader. David said to all the assembly of Israel, if it seems good to you and it's from the Lord, our God, let us send everywhere to our kinsmen who remain in all the land of Israel. Also to the priests and the Levites who are with him in their cities, pasture lands that they may meet with us. So bring them all together. And here is his agenda. He says this, let us bring back the ark of our God to us, for we did not seek it in the days of Saul. Let us collectively, if I'm your leader, here's what I'm calling us to. Me as your king, I'm calling us to bring back the ark, which is the token of God's presence. We're gonna bring that back for we have forsaken it in the former days. Now, the reason they forsook it is because it was very inconvenient to pursue the ark. Whenever a leader got up and started pointing the people towards this box, if it was not done properly, people died. And eventually, they just didn't know what to do with it, so they stowed it away at a place called Kiriath-Jerium for decades. No one had pursued the box. The box had been sitting in a barn. It was not in the holiest of holies where it should have been. In the days of Saul, the holiest of holies was empty, meaning they had the tabernacle, which was the outer inner uh, holiest of holies. They had the three sections, but the priests, when they would go in on the day of atonement, there was no box there. That's how religious they had become. They had a form of God, but no substance, no power. He was not present. They could say the right things. They could do the right things, but the substance of the one that they were pursuing was not there. And my concern in our hour is that we can have a language, we can have a form, we can dance and sing and run around this room and walk out those doors and not live lives that align to the songs that we're singing. And I know this about Dallas, Texas. It is one of the most religious cities in the nation. It is the buckle of the Bible Belt. There are more mega churches in this city. I mean, I'm, not, I'm sure there's other cities like it, but I'm a son of the city. And my concern is that we can get so cultural in our Christianity that we miss the potency and the power of why we're doing what we're doing. And I feel this scripture, we've got to pursue the ark. Like if you look around today, there is a crisis on the earth. Like (laughs) Donnie here is from, he's a a friend of mine. He's a pastor down in New Orleans and a category four hurricane hit his city today. We're going to pray for him, but you're going to watch a crisis emerge And once again, it will exploit the leadership dysfunction in our nation. You're seeing it happen in Afghanistan. Man, we need to be praying for the church in Afghanistan. But it's exposing a leadership 
chasm. And the world is longing for someone to step in to that chasm. We'll point fingers and accuse and blame. And I believe there's a longing in our heart for this type of leadership. And it's actually the arc that they would pursue would be the leadership of God in their society. And I'm very limited in my sphere of authority when it comes to what God's called me to lead and build. But I know what my leadership is unto, and it's unto 1 Chronicles 13.3, that we are going to set the ark before us, and we're not going to be settled for anything less. We're not going to be settled for, we were going to have a really like, really ornate, awesome, cool, hipster, millennial drawing building that we're going to. We, we actually have one of the cities, and I haven't shared this publicly, I don't think it's a big deal if I do, but one of the top renowned architects, like he is internationally known in the city. He was employed by one of the, 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 the largest architectural firms uh, in, the, in the world. He's done projects. If I told you the projects that he's done, you would know the stadiums that this guy has, has built. And he heard, he heard about what we're doing and he heard about where, he's going, where we're going and he texted me and asked me to go to lunch. I'm sitting in front of him and he said, listen, I heard about the vision, North Dallas and South Dallas and bringing the city together. I'm in. I want to help you for free. <laughs> what? It's really cool, but it has to be unto this one thing. It just has to be unto the one thing. Because you can have all those other things, but miss the one thing and you have nothing. And my concern is that we're settling for lesser things and we think we have something that we really don't have. We think we know someone that we really don't know. We become familiar with the things of God, yet God is not present. We're missing the substance of the things that we know. And faith is the actual substance of the object that we're putting our faith in. And it's up to... <laughs> this is how deception comes. And it's one of the things that marks the end days. And so I so want to prepare you. And I think the greatest way I can prepare you is not allowing you to settle for anything less, but that you know how to pursue and connect to that ark, which is a man. And I know that ark lives in you and he lives in me. And when we gather, he dwells among us. And so there's a sensitivity to understanding the one that we're talking about and communing with. And so um, I, I want to just, I want to lay out and propose this is, I haven't taught this at the upper room. I've taught it one time publicly, but I want to lay out some of the shifts that I feel like are taking place in cultural Christianity or in the church. They're, they're, they're just things that are going to, we're going to make slight course adjustments, but it's going to prepare us as a bride to be beautiful before him. And I think that beauty that we find before him is actually really attractive to the world. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Come on. And so, um, 
You know, one, one of the things that I don't think I've seen um, in my lifetime, I've heard of it and I've studied it. I think I've seen glimpses of it, like maybe one to 2%. If there's a hundred percent of this. I think I've seen about one or 2% of it um, from a corporate standpoint. And, and it would be, uh, my percentages may be off, but I haven't seen it like I want to see it. And, and I would describe it as this, the active leadership of Jesus. So if you ask me, hey, Michael, what's revival? You get a lot of questions, you know, what's revival? I, I would define revival as Jesus's active leadership. Like moments in time when it is undeniable that Jesus is initiating something on the earth. Like you've heard of the layman's revival in the 1800s. You've heard of Azusa Street. You've heard of the Great Awakenings. Uh, in my lifetime, I've heard of them. I did not experience them. You know, there's been renewals and maybe pockets of outpouring, whether it was in Pensacola or up in Toronto or different, different things. We've tasted it a little bit here, but it's his active leadership. It's Isaiah 64, which says, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Yeah. It's like when he steps into a geographical location, at a time and a place, and the active leadership of God begins to mark a region. And I think that there's an outpouring coming that will be marked by the active leadership of Jesus. It's undeniable that Jesus is at the center of that. And I would juxtapose that to um, Jesus's leaders. So you have Jesus's active leadership, but then you have Jesus's leaders, which those are just guys like me that are gifted, they're, they're anointed, they're skilled and they're called to shepherd and lead. But I think for the most part in my life, what I've seen is Jesus's leaders leading. Jesus is leading through them. Jesus is doing great exploits through them. I'm not saying that any of that's wrong, but I believe what's coming. And as we pursue the ark and put him at the center is things are going to be marked, not by a gift that's in a man, but by the active outpouring of the Holy Spirit that's undeniably God. And I, again, uh, both are important. I'm not, I'm not trying to throw one out, but I, I, we can't settle <laughs> for one. And, and I, I just think in, in the days ahead, it, it's going to be mandatory that we know it. Uh, from things that happen with the government to, to, I mean, does this look like COVID was a, <laughs> a dress rehearsal? Now I'm going to give you grid for that, what I see coming scripturally. But like there's shakings coming. There's deep darkness that's coming. And I think light is going to shine very bright in that hour. But we've got to be tethered to his word and tethered to that ark to sustain us in those days. Does this make sense? Yeah. So um, he, here's some things that I feel like um, are, are subtle differences between the active leadership of Jesus and Jesus's leaders. And, and the slight shift that I feel like God has done in our community and is doing, preparing us for this uh, new property over the next year. Um, and so I've got a graph. I actually made a graph. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. It's not pretty. 
Um, so, I think, I think one of the things that's going to mark Jesus' active leadership in our midst is that the fear of God is going to begin to grip the people of God. And when I say fear of God, I don't mean it, that you're afraid of God. Um, it's just when, when, when you know God and you see him rightly, your heart trembles. Um, there's a tethering. There's a consecration. There's a holiness. Um, we stand in the holy place. He has clean hands and a pure heart. Like there's something about consecrating ourselves in uh, the fear of the Lord. The Lord told me this. He said, he said, for too long you've loved me, but feared men. Like we have a genuine love for God, but, but we really fear men. And he said, but I'm actually going to shift that and I'm going to give you a fear of me so that you can actually love them. It's speaking the hard things. It's saying the hard things. It's setting up things um, that are more accommodating and centered upon God than man. Listen, we're all, like, I know there's like sayings like we're all about people or you know, find your purpose. And there's all these initiatives that are focused on us. But like, I think one of the things that's going to shift is that we're going to say, Lord, the priority is you. And that priority is actually unto people. So the second thing would be um, you have fear of God and then fear of man. So that, that fear of man's not good. You don't want to have fear of man. Um, everything else is actually fairly good and honorable in this. And this is one of those things that's honorable. Um, I believe Jesus actor active leadership is going to be marked by his presence. Uh, it's going to be marked by a person in our midst. Um, whereas Jesus's leaders typically focus on people, Jesus's active leadership and what's coming is going to be a people that's focused on the presence of the Lord. Uh, he's restoring first love to us. And, uh, and that, that, that first love sets the table for a bride to adore him, which again is unto loving people. But for a long time, Jesus's leaders are all about people and loving people. We've got to reach people. And there's nothing wrong with reaching people, but I want to reach God because his ability to reach people is much better than mine. Again, it's just a slight shift. First love. Um, praise and worship have to mark gatherings. Um, listen, the first hour tonight wasn't for you. It wasn't about you. We weren't really concerned about what you thought in the first hour. Because the first hour is all about him. It's unto him. It moves him. It refreshes him. The second hour is for you. The word and the preaching of the word is for the people. Like we need to be fed and we need truth. But praise and worship is about ministering first and foremost to the Lord. And so the shift is happening is that we're going to tend to him as much, if not more, than we tend to people. And us tending to him, he actually has the ability to tend to all as we tend to him. Like that's what blows me away. But the leaders, like gifted leaders, typically it, it's centered upon preaching and teaching because that has to do with people. I'm not against preaching and teaching. I, I'm doing it now, right? Like I'm not against that, but we just, we, <laughs> we gotta be more than sermons, 
I love sermons and I love the word and I love handling the word and we need the word. But, but those things have to be unto the person who became the word. And the, like the spirit and the word, they're one and the same. And so it's just this honor and value for, for, for that ark. Um, I would say one, the active leadership of Jesus, you enter into the realm of the immeasurables um, or the intangibles. Whereas a lot of times we focus on the measurables. We focus on time and people and budgets and all that stuff. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's a place for that. But those can't usurp the immeasurables that he brings. Like he'll give you a peace that surpasses what? A love that is beyond your knowledge. It's Ephesians 3. There's this realm of him that we can tap into that it's just immeasurable. Um, Jesus' active leadership focuses more on heaven and bringing heaven to earth. Uh, this is a big one. Um, it's intimacy over influence. Uh, one of the idols today in our hour, it's in the church, but it's also in many of your lives, is, is having some form of influence, some, some form of significance that you find through what you put on a platform, or it's just, it's a wrong measuring stick. And intimacy should birth influence, but if intimacy does not birth influence, that influence becomes an idol and we're driven by the wrong thing. There's many that are influential for Jesus, but they're not intimate with Jesus. And that's a concern. I have a concern if someone's speaking for him, but they're not intimate with him. And I'm speaking to myself. Like, I, 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 I don't, I, I need more of him. So we want to be intimate with him and let the fruit come. Um, there's a difference between following Jesus and leading men. If you following Jesus positions you to lead men, amen. But many of us just want to lead men for the sake of leading men and use Jesus' name for that. David, as a leader, he stood before the people. And in essence, what he's saying is like, I have no idea how I got into this place, but I've been pursuing this one thing. And if you're going to follow me, then you're going to pursue what I've been pursuing and we're all pursuing him. I'm your leader, but I've actually been his follower. <laughs> I'm your leader and I, eternity will know me. He didn't know this at the time, but eternity would know him as a man after God's own heart. So God says, I want that man to lead all of y'all. Why? Not because he's a leader, but because he's a pursuer. He didn't, he didn't pick David because he was gifted. He didn't pick David. Saul was the good looking one. Saul was taller than all the rest. He was the best looking man in Israel. They had the leader that the people wanted, yet you saw what was inside of him. The guys that have transformed my lives the most, like from a leadership standpoint, are often not the ones I would pick. And I think God hides himself in packaging that we would not choose to see if we can actually find him in it. Because if we will, something changes. I see that happen here all the time. 
I think it's one of the reasons Upper Room is just such a, you're just such a wild bunch. I don't, I don't really like, this morning during worship, I was watching it and I was like, who is in charge of this place? And then I realized I am. But I realized me being in charge of this place and pursuing the person, well, Vincent Hardy shows up. I don't know if he's an NFL linebacker or the president of and founder of Zion Dance Company, but he's the founder in Zion Dance Company. So he gets plugged in. He humbles himself. He's been serving. And it's like, he runs up to me today and he's like, Hey, listen, I really feel like we're to, he lays out all that he does. And I'm like, man, I'm, I trust God in you in this. You know, I'm like processing. I wasn't necessarily, but I trust God in you. But hey, I'm after the ark. I know Vincent and I know his heart is after the ark. So listen, it might not have been what I wanted to do in that moment, but I could see Vincent has earned trust with me and team. So what do we do? We do it. And it's this blowout. Like it's a blowout. What took place this morning? What's my point? Is that God will hide himself in things that we would not choose and things that maybe we're not familiar with that we would prescribe to, but he hides himself in those things to see if we're truly seeking him. We truly after that, can we get over our preferences and ways that he may offend me? It's in those places when you choose to not get offended and not check your preference that the Lord goes, yes, here I am. And bam, you're on the floor and you get up and you're never the same. Like that's a part of the power washing of the Holy Spirit of even our preferences. I remember I went to a meeting one time. It was a life transforming meeting, but the guy preaching was driving me crazy. He only preached through asking questions. He was like, how many of you want more of the Lord? How many of you tonight want breakthrough? How many of you tonight are just da 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 da? And you're, you're just constantly like, okay, yeah, I want that. 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 It was 30 minutes of that. And I'm like, when is he going to say anything? He's just asking us questions. And then he like out of the blue goes, you young man stand up and he lays his hands on me and I fall down and and the Lord was like, I was just trying to get you over you. That's not a good church strategy. Like, I'm just saying, we, we, we have adopted this corporate, bigger, better like, I'm, I love the church, but there's more for her. And the Lord is returning us back to the purity and simplicity of devoting ourselves to a man. Listen, I think millennials should be deconstructing things that they've grown up with. Their deconstruction's fine, but deconstruction should be unto you seeing a man and you falling in love with a man. But most of us aren't after that. We just want a new system that suits us and fits us better. We're offended at that system, so we're going to erect one that looks more like us than them. And you're just going to end up in a yucky, funky, wonky place. And you'll actually be, you'll shipwreck your faith. And I see people do it all the time. God's merciful and loving, but they are not following him. They're just mad at his people. Get mad at him if you need to go through that process, but it should be unto you seeing a man. This is the needle. It's shifting. The focus is shifting and it's coming back to this one thing, which happens to be next on my beautiful graph. One thing. <laughs> um, 
Listen, if you get the one thing, you get everything else. But if you pursue everything else, you get nothing. And man, my heart just burns for so many of you in your 20s. Your whole life is ahead of you. Your whole life. You may seem like 30s old. It's not. It's not. It's not. I turned 45 in a couple of weeks. That's right. I'm proud of it. Listen, I'm, I've, because I saw the man and I saw him, I got a vision for when I'm 80. This season's not going to define me. That one thing is. Man, I want to set that one thing before a generation. And just that this, it's not easy to live in the simplicity and purity of devoting yourself to this one man. You need community and you need community that won't settle for a lot of the things on the right. And a lot of the things on the right are awesome. I'm not saying those aren't awesome, but they have to be secondary to the things on the left. And the shift is that we're getting away from people and we're focusing on a person and that person is all about people. And I've just learned this in my journey that as I, you know, I, for a long time in ministry, and you could put this on your destiny and purpose and where you're going, if you're a business leader, if you're a teacher, if you're whatever, you know, you need to grow in your gift. You need to grow in sanctification and maturity and all those things. And, and those things are important. But in this pursuit of the one person, like when you have trial, when you have suffering, when you have hardship, when you're in the obscure hidden places where Saul's attempting to kill you, you grow in grace. You grow in seasons of grace. And that grace establishes a belief in the one that you're pursuing. Like when I look back at the history that I have with the Lord, all I see is grace. It's not by my gifting. It's not by my strength. It's not by my planning. It's not by my strategy. It is by grace upon grace upon grace. And it's stewarding his grace to me. And as he puts it upon me, I see him more clearly. And it's a knowledge of him. That grace is unto knowing this man, knowing this one who has been faithful. And I have messed up. I have, I have hurt people. I have, I have done things wrong. I've had seasons where I'm backslidden, but in it all, at some point, tapping back into that grace, pulling it down, allowing it to steward my life ahead. I look back and even in my darkest times, I see the fingerprints of God on my life. And it's, I know that it's not about impressing you. It's not about my strength. It's not about my charisma. It's just not about me. I'm more confident that this thing has nothing to do with me, but stewarding grace has positioned me in a place to see far beyond things I've ever thought I would see. And God has the same plan for you. He has the same purpose for you. Especially if you're in the fire, especially if you feel unseen, especially if you feel hidden, especially if you don't know your true north and you're like, I don't know about any of this. All I would say is find the one thing, find him, find the man, 
Find him. Find him in this prayer room. Find him in your closet. Find him in the word. Start doing little things consistently that line up with the things on the left and watch what he does. Man, I'm confident in that. The hundred plus students, you are stewarding your time so well by sitting in this room where no one may know your name. No one may know your pain, but when you learn to regularly position your heart before that one thing and he begins to kiss it and he begins to go, I love you. I want to wash you in my word. I want to go on a journey with you. All of a sudden, it doesn't matter if I know your name or not or someone else doesn't know your name. You know that he knows your name and and he sees you and he's just going to keep walking you into his plans and into his purposes, which are grander, bigger, better than you can plan. But the thing is, is that it's not about any of that. It's actually about him. And it's about you knowing him. I'm fired up. We need to get delivered from the religious veneers that we've become so accustomed to. We don't need shorter services. We need longer ones. Oh, I wish y'all could have seen. A couple of you were like, you've been going two hours. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm saying if he's present, we keep going. And, and like it's, it's more than just coming on a Sunday night. We, we, we're going to be ministering to the Lord. I don't know how many hours, how many hours, a lot this week. There's like 60, 70 hours that this room is open that you can come and it does something to you over time. So what's, what's it unto? It's unto Maranatha. I was talking to this architect about this building. We're like doing this process of discovery and our vision and who we are and you know, what the kids space should look like families and, and man, I, it hit me on Wednesday. I was like, this place is about one thing. It has to be about one thing. We have to build a place that's first attractive to Jesus. What does he like? What does he want? What will move him? How can this be his home? keeps me up at night. Once we figure that out and, you know, the gifted guys do their thing and some of you write millions of dollars worth of checks so we can pay for it. (laughs) What we're going to do is one day we're going to fill this room up and there's going to be a procession from this dwelling place that we're in. And we're going to walk down manufacturing. We're going to get on Irving. And we're going to march the ark of God, which is his spirit resting on us down Irving Boulevard. Then we're going to take a right on Gene Botham. And then we're going to take a left on Corinth. And then we're going to do a little U-turn and we're going to go to Wall Street and we're going to march down where our two properties are. And we're going to go into that next building and we're going to do there what we've been doing here. We're going to pursue the ark. 
we're going to pursue the person. Let's set our hearts on pilgrimage. That's what it says in Psalms 84. They set their hearts on pilgrimage. Let's journey together. Because ultimately, and I'll, I'll end with this, ultimately it's not unto him coming to a new building on Wall Street. I think it is just us stewarding again that grace, but genuinely it's unto him returning to Jerusalem. We had a fundraiser two weeks ago for a building. Oh, it's a five-minute walk from the old city, which is, uh, that's another, it's like a 15-minute walk to the Wailing Wall, to the Temple Mount, where there will be, along with other ministries, but an upper room, where what I talked about us doing here, I feel like the Lord has granted us the invitation through stewarding the grace that we have from Oaklawn to here to now Wall Street to go to Jerusalem and to call young people. We're partnering with Marcos Burnett in South America, partnering with some other African leaders to get the nations into this building to say, you can come, will you come? Man, get into this narrative tonight. Sign up. It's worth your life. I don't know of anything better to call you into than to partner with the purposes of God in your generation to beckon the second coming. For some of you, that may mean you need to go to Afghanistan as a missionary. For some of you, it means you may need to go to Wall Street and make millions of dollars. For some of you, it may mean you come to USM and you sit in this room and you learn to tend to him. It means different things for different people, but that we all see the same thing and we're following the same man. That's the goal.